right, you guys, we're back in studio today for our second podcast episode. Welcome to Hope Ignited. We're so excited, Brian, to welcome you today. Appreciate the honor. You know, we um, have known you for several years. You've been a part of the NBCF family for a long time. And you guys have been a part of my family. Well, you've helped us further our mission in so, so many ways. But Kevin and I, when we were brainstorming guests for this show, we knew that you had to be the first one. Pressure. But, you know, really, it's uh, it's all downhill from here. Right. I hope. <laughs> but we are just so excited to have you here today, Kevin. When we were talking about guests, you were the one actually that mentioned Brian. Why did you think Brian would be a great guest for for our very first episode with somebody else in the studio with us? We knew we needed to set a bar of good looks really high, but then we decided to flip that around actually and finish strong. So we went with Brian. <laughs> Could, um, couldn't find those qualities in the same person. <laughs> Brian is great. He he embodies uh, all of the the elements of the NBCF family when you're not really on the payroll and, and, you know, when you work somewhere, that's one thing, but when you're a part of the NBCF team and you're giving your time and your effort like Brian is, uh, you know, there's certain elements that really make someone uh, stand out among everyone else. And Brian's passion for volunteerism and his uh, connection to the mission and just all his skills that he's brought to the table really uh, make him really special to all of us. That's the last compliment you're getting now. We this is the thing. Brian and I have to give each other a hard time. We got to keep each other honest because exactly. You know, you never know. But uh, Brian is uh, a really uh, just a wonderful uh, board member of NBCF, and uh, like I said, a longtime volunteer, and he's helped us in so many things. You you wouldn't know it, but uh, Brian's actually helped us all with uh, public speaking. That's right. And uh, so if you see me using my hands, he was teaching me how to use my hands one day. And and I, I still feel a little awkward. Ricky Bobby, what do I, do I don't know what to do with what my do hands. Do <laughs> so what good. Do I do with them? Um, but well, let, I just want to take a second and start off. Like, what brought you to NBCF? Actually, NBC came. NBCF came to me because I was teaching a class in October of 2017. You had your your marketing people come, and they told me what they did. And because my wife had had a history over 20, at the time, 20 years. And then she was about to get into it a month after I met these ladies. So I, I went into your office a week or so later and found out what you guys did, where you were, because typical male, I, I, was, I was oblivious to it. But women, helping women now was so strong and your people were so professional and they represented the cause so well that I fell in love with what you're doing and how you're doing it. and. Lo and behold, you guys invited me to, to join, and what a privilege, what an honor. And that really is how it happened. I, I met four of your people, uh, then met you guys, Mom, and the, the team. I fell in love with, with what you do. Yeah. Well, so uh, let's go back for a second. Let's step back, actually. I think I'd, I'd love for the audience to hear a little bit about what you do and, uh, you know, kind of the background. You've got... Uh, Quite a history. I do. Many, many, many centuries. But best, best traveled person I know. You travel more than anybody. Yes, unfortunately, for 36 <laughs> years I traveled. Then, then March of 2020 hit, and my wife said, "You can be home for two years." Yeah, yeah. I started with IBM back in Baton Rouge, where I grew up, and I tell people, both of us actually, we love Louisiana. We don't want to be buried there. We want to. We don't want to live there. We want to be buried there. That way we continue to vote. Well, I went from Baton Rouge to, to here with IBM, and I met a man named Zig Ziglar. Long story short, I went to work for him, and what a blessing. Zig changed my life 
his philosophy, a lot of things that he that he shared with me and shares obviously with millions of others, I took it to heart. So I got into this industry of, of training and development. I'm a sales guy and primarily I do two things. I, I do sales training, I do presentation skills training. And as Ashley said, that, that put me on the road. Dallas is the fifth largest market in the nation. I can't find work here. So I, I, I'm back to traveling, which is okay. It's an unnatural act, but it's tolerable. So that's what I do. I work mainly with, through corporations, do some coaching, but primarily I'm an in-person trainer. And that's how we, we met through the organization of coming and doing some training for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to step back on Zig Ziglar for a yeah. second for the, for the folks that may not know who he is. Shame on you if you don't. Uh, <laughs> he is actually one of those just great um, 20th century thinkers that really shaped uh, – really like in the business community Very and, and self-help and anything like that. It had to do with goal writing. Uh, I remember hearing about Zig growing up. He's got that familiar name. If it was like Bob Smith, that wouldn't be quite <laughs> as uh, popular. But anyway, Zig, uh, quite a guy. I heard this story one time about him, uh, and you may have heard this. He had gotten really sick, and he was in the hospital. He's rushed to the hospital, and he was bleeding a lot. And um, he actually – Code blue, I think it is, is when you're, you're going to die or when you die. And they were rushing him in an elevator. And, and just everybody in this elevator is is trying to bring him back to life. And they're giving him CPR. And uh, and he comes to and they said, Mr. Ziegler, Mr. Ziegler, are you okay? And in his typical fashion, he opens his eyes and he said, I'm okay. How are you? <laughs> And he sounds wanted like to Brian. know about Doesn't other people. Doesn't that sound people. like Brian? This sounds just like you. Zig, yeah. Zig was the most consistent man I've ever met. One, one of the great attributes and one of the ways I like to introduce him when I did that was he was so consistent in his personal life, his business life, family life, and his faith life. He, he was just a good guy, but, but you could trust what he said because he ran it through the physical, the mental, the spiritual, and, and he had documentation, had evidence to back it up. So he never said anything. He never, he never gave anything to the audience that he, he couldn't prove. And that, that was consistency. And I saw him I saw him at his daughter's, 45-year-old daughter's gravesite. I saw him in New Zealand ask a, a contract, read a contract for $80,000. And the guy was a seminar sponsor for three cities in New Zealand. And he, he wasn't up to the task. And Zig left the man with his dignity and didn't bankrupt him. But, but he treated him with a great deal of respect. And I, I, I've seen him counsel troubled employees, which I was one. <laughs> but the consistency there was really made him worth following. Mm. The, the followership knew him. And he had a very basic philosophy. As Kevin said, if you haven't seen Zig, go to YouTube. His son has put a lot of Zig, vintage Zig Ziglar YouTube. His philosophy is you can have everything in life you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want. Mm -hmm. And I saw him live that philosophy. I saw him lose money for that philosophy. Mm. He, he wouldn't do anything. It didn't run through those filters. But here we are still talking about him. Exactly. He's After touching a lot of lives to yeah. this day. Yeah. There's a, there's so that's a an investment. Yeah. I remember where I was sitting when I found out he passed away. We were at church. It was a Sunday morning, and that's when I realized. I mean, I'd seen his videos. I'd heard people speak yeah. so highly of him, but the profound impact that he had on my pastor at that time and seeing what it did to his heart and, and just it was amazing because, you know, our pastors, you just look at them that they're these rock-solid individuals, and while they do show emotion, I'd never seen my pastor that upset. 
And so it's just, it's so interesting how. Yeah. And he, he, he touched my life. I, I, I read a book, his first book. It was written just for me. And I read it four years after he had written it. And it was at a time in my life I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. I thought I was an imposter. And I read the book, See You at the Top, and on page 48 of the original edition. It's on page 54 of the revised edition. But that one sentence changed my life. And it is, you cannot consistently perform in a manner that's inconsistent with the way you see yourself. Mm. And my mother told me that 30 years. My wife had told me that for the eight years we'd been married. But until I read that, I was missing success by 12 inches. And that's the distance from my head to my heart. Mm. And Zig said, Brian, you have a deserve level you're not using. Let, mm. let me help you lift, raise that deserve level. And that's been with me for 44 years. It's so good. It was a, a game changer for me. I genuinely believe he had a positive impact on everybody but people that live in the state of Alabama, including Nick Saban. <laughs> True? True story? Yeah, when he was in Alabama, he was born in Alabama, raised in Mississippi, loved both states. And, and made, made fun of all of yeah, them. Yeah, the Crimson Tide missed, missed the memo. You know, one of the, the cool things about your travels, I love your one-liners. Every time you're getting on a plane, every time you return back to DFW, yeah. you just have the best stories about the travels you've had. Tell us some of your favorite spots you've been and maybe some memories that stick out. I had a favorite spot this week. I was in Tempe, Arizona. And this, this hotel in the middle of downtown Tempe was as nice as it was. It literally is an oasis. I've had, I've had some... I've been very blessed. I had a great family. The number one, I'm not sure we're talking serious, how serious we're talking here, but the, no, number, no. One, the number one rule of success is Joe, the, the engineer here, as we all know, the number one rule of success, marry well. Yeah. Amen. So your husband knows that. He does know that. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. So I, I married well, and I've got the home court advantage, which allows me to do a lot of things because I know that I'm taking care of the kids are taking care of Cindy's just solid. Yeah. Just the, the light of my life. I'm, I married my bucket list. Yeah. I don't, I don't need a bucket list. I married my bucket list. And, and that gave me the opportunity to, to have a career. Unfortunately, it took me out of town and I met a lot of people. I've seen a lot of things. I've been around literally selling and this profession has allowed me to go around the world. Yeah. I, I feel for the people in Ukraine right now oh, yeah. because I was there for four days talking to the telephone company. This had been, eight years ago, great people, hungry for information, hungry for knowledge. And I was working with salespeople, granted, and the two of the three of the interpreters that I had, but all the people I met there were just uh, just solid people. And then uh, to, to go through what they're going through right now it is, is really a shame. We need to step up to the bully, and we didn't do it. Yeah. Uh, so, so those are the experiences that I had, which are you know life-changing and certainly a, a memory that I'll have, and meeting people in places Charlie Tremendous Jones said there, there are three things that are going to make a difference in your life. The books you read, the dreams you dream, and the people you meet. Mm, and, I, and I've had a chance to, on planes, I read a lot of books. Yeah. And I, I should have brought a notepad to write <laughs> these things down. I'm like, because I, I just, I looked up like that and I'm like, wow, I have to think about that a second. Yeah. So many one-liners. We always talk about that, that you just have so many profound sayings that we all just want to put on a post-it and remember it forever. Well, or jokes. Yeah. You've got a, I, the got largest a database of jokes. Uh, I, I greater do. And than I don't write them down Google. because I think that's cheating. <laughs> Joan Rivers wrote all her jokes down and she had a card for oh, no. But no. I don't write you got to wing it. Yeah, I think it's better. <laughs> I think it's better if you do that. Do you so, ever find, Brian, you, you're in the business of teaching people, right? Do you ever find that the people teach you? I, I, I teach what I need to learn. And I, I'm a big mm -hmm. believer, and I tell this in my classes all the time. And, and I've got a, I got a notepad 
Kevin. I've got a notepad in front. I got the workbook, whatever material we have. But I've got to. I'm taking notes. And, yeah. and this week, the, the guy was talking about demonstrating. If they're selling fire trucks, and I say, if you know it, show it. Well, let me write that down. And it came out, and that's a great line. Yeah. Be able to show what you know, provide evidence tie down the benefits, all those things, but that triggers another thought or another story. So, yeah, I'm taking notes all the time. One, one of the things I've learned is you never graduate from learning. And Zig was such a model that we have a Monday morning devotion for the last 48 years, I guess, at the Ziegler Corporation, yeah, since, since uh, Zig started. And he would come, we'd have an outside speaker, but he would come and sit stage right, He'd have his Bible, he'd have his notepads, and he was taking notes on what the speaker said. Even at his later years when he had dementia, his son or his daughter would pick him up, bring him to the office, he would sit there, and he would still ask questions. So here's a guy that had written 32 books. We needed to take notes of what he was saying. Yeah. But he was the model that he was still learning. Consistency, that, that's one of the and great things. that wasn't just him kind of doing window dressing. That was a legitimate desire and curiosity of life, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He, he was a better student once he got out of school, and he, he always said that. Yeah. So um, that that's a great point that you're making. Uh, my mom uh, started NBCF when she was 46, and uh, which and she always says she's 39. So the it's fuzzy math, but you know, um, at 46, there are a lot of um, women who maybe have stayed home with their kids and you know raised their family. And maybe they for they 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 forego like a college education or or something career. or career, and uh, and then they're looking at their life and they're going, what am I? What do I do now? And um, and so you know for her it was uh, just as she liked to say bloom where I'm planted, and and right. to to take this my hands and just use my hands and use my feet and do what God wants me to do. And one thing leads to another. So what, what advice would you give to people who maybe are looking at um, a place in their life where they don't know what the future looks like and uh, they don't know what they're supposed to be doing? They don't have purpose. And I talked to a lot of people, and they, you just get that sense that they don't have purpose in their life. Yeah. Well, let's go back to Hope Ignited. One of the things that Zig quotes, and I apologize, I, 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 didn't, I didn't research this before I sat down, it's either John Maxwell he quoted or someone else, but Zig said it, but it wasn't Zig original. If there's hope in the future, there's power in the present. Mm. And that is a, that's a liberator. That, that's freeing. If, if you see yourself, then, then you've got power to move toward that vision. And, and that's one of the things I think we always preach to people. Uh, your abilities are good. The circumstances may not be good. But don't compare your abilities to your circumstances. If you're a stay-at-home mom, which my, my wife taught school, and we, we adopted our children, and she was going to be a, a, a homemaker, stay-at-home mom, greatest skills in the world are doing that. You, you, if, you, if you've taught public schools or you've been a mom, you can do anything. Any job yeah. is easy after that because you've got to be disciplined, you've got to be organized. And so you have the skills to move forward in most endeavors. And one of the things I would, that I learned, if you're looking to things to do, what's my passion, what's my passion, step back and think about your close friends, the people that you trust. What have they complimented you on? 
What, what things do they say you do well? And that may be something you have a blind spot. That may be something that you can latch on to and say, yeah, you know, there's a job, there's a position, there's an opening, there's a volunteer position that would use that, that trait or that skill. And oftentimes we're, we're, we're here, we don't look a, a, above ourselves. And, and that, that was, I thought that was very, very impressive. What do people compliment you on that you may not value? But they see it, and because it comes naturally for you, you kind of devalue it when in everybody else's. That, that's why they're kind of attracted to you. I think that's but, good. Kevin, what do people say? What do people compliment you on? I think that's just a really good subject. What do people say you're good at? Well, aside from my looks. Obviously. All the time. It just gets old. Yeah. I have to, you know, I have to say enough. Yeah. enough for all. No photos, um, please. No photos. Oh, you know, compliments, uh, you know, sense of humor or something every once in a while. Um, ideas, but you're a you know, people person. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, yeah we're, we're really similar. I yeah, think, I, I, th- I think yeah. you're a connector, and and that is something oftentimes we don't overlook because we go to parties and we kind of gravitate toward people. Toward people, it's kind of an unconscious act, but you're good at that. But because you haven't put forth the effort and the sweat, you don't value it as much. Yeah. But gee whiz, in this yeah. world right now, we, we so what you're saying is my value needs to rise, like how I see the value. Most people do. Yeah. I mean, most people need to increase. I value the, you we, in we, that way. We, and I think that's spot on. You're yeah. such a good people person and connector and you are pretty funny. Hey, well, thank you. I'm glad this podcast has turned towards compliments. <laughs> yeah. Compliment hour. This is feeling pretty we nice. Turned it towards- exactly. Wow. <laughs> exactly. I think everybody could spend more time doing that. You know, listen to your tribe and how they yeah. compliment you. I think that's so important. That's mm-hmm. really well, and that's a, that kind of brings up a bigger uh, topic. Um, when a woman is going through cancer and she's going through this really hard time, what is the role that hope and encouragement play in her treatment and recovery? Cindy had gone through breast cancer in 96, 2007. I met you guys in 2017. She was about to go through. There were lumpectomies the first two times, and the third time it was serious, and the fourth time it metastasized, and then it metastasized again. One, one of the things that, that every person needs in cancer, especially breast cancer patients, they, they need a return to normal. Mm-hmm. I want my life back. And that means as a husband, I got to stop overreacting. Um, you know, I, I met Cindy when she was 16. I was 18, different high schools, blind date. She regained her sight <laughs> and had a second date six months later. But she she wants normalcy, so I want to fix it because as a male, I want to fix things. And what Cindy said is that don't do that. And she had to walk me through. She was certainly stronger than I, as most women are, stronger than I was going through this. So uh, how how can you give them normalcy yeah. when in fact they're they're tired? They got poison in their body. And Cindy's about to go through this for the next six months. We'll find out this next week. But. She, she wants normalcy, so she doesn't want me to overreact and, and come unglued. Yeah. She needs some strength, yeah. but she also needs, as somebody said recently, I think one of the new things going around is holding hands and a kiss on the fart are two of the greatest things you can give people, yeah. and, and she needs that. And I think sometimes we want to do that, but we don't know how. What you guys have taught me when I've gone through some of your seminars is that there are a list of things you should never say to a cancer patient. This is stupid. 
Oh, my wife, my sister's brother had that. And would you ever be able to have babies? I mean, those are stupid things to say, which I have probably said. But one of the great parts of what you do is not only do you support and encourage the the warriors, but also their support team. Mm -hmm. And the the book that you guys gave me, A Husband's View of Cancer. I mean, that's an outstanding book written by kind of a funny guy, a writer. But gee whiz, he was writing my story. Well, it's fair, fair to say that when, when our wife is going through cancer, we all kind of have it in the sense that we're all going through it. It's on our minds and our hearts, yeah. right? Like yeah. the husband a lot of times is neglected, I would say, in the sense of his emotional uh, turmoil that's going on. Yeah. You were mentioning earlier, I know when my wife, uh, my wife uh, really struggled with um, a disease early on in our marriage and uh, caused her a great deal of pain. And I remember as a young guy watching her in pain and I just wanted to like, ah, I couldn't fix it. Like you yeah. said. And I just, it was like, ah, I just want to punch a wall or something. Cause you have all this emotion inside. And, and, so, and sometimes you need to punch a wall. Yeah. Or, or someone else in traffic. <laughs> right. Remember, yeah. Gotta Re- cut remember you off. in <laughs> Forrest Gump when he and Jenny were throwing rocks at the house and he yeah. said, sometimes you run out of rocks. Ah, uh, yeah. And sometimes you need to punch a wall. But yeah. the other thing is, is the mental side and the emotional side of this. The conversations are so intense. And oftentimes, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about this, this unforgiving disease, and you don't get out to talk about other things. And one of the counselors that I know said that she, she tells people this all the time as a marriage counselor, as a family counselor. You go on a date, and there are rules. These things you don't talk about. So Cindy and I did that. We, we would go on dates, and there are certain things were off limits. You can talk about the kids. You can talk about whatever. But these things you don't talk about. And you take a relief from that. Yeah. Because, my gosh, she's 24-7. She yeah. lives with it. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's an amazing disease, and it's amazing the, the strength of people that I see that I've lived with, uh, other patients that, that we've come in contact with, how strong and resilient people are. But again, my heart for what you do is that you understand that. Uh, I, I've said this to your, your team a lot. Uh, Oswald Chambers, September 6th, is daily devotion, my utmost here is highest. A river reaches places its source never knows. That's the opening line mm-hmm. of his, his three-minute devotion on September wow. 6th. A river reaches places its source never knows. So I'm watching these ladies and these guys assembling these hope kits, which are unbelievable, by the way. You need to contact yeah. the foundation to find out about hope kits because it is such a powerful encouragement. But they don't know the people they're putting this label on. Yeah. I'm sending things to San Antonio and to Peoria, Illinois. I'm sending people to, to Charlotte, North Carolina. And I had a hand in that. And everybody in your organization had a hand in that. But you don't see the impact. And I, as far as is hope, that's what your people have. They have the hope that what I'm doing is going to have a positive impact and take a little bit of the, the umph, a little bit of the, the distress away from a lady for a couple of hours, yeah. a couple of days, a couple of minutes. And when, when you, you guys have been nice enough to fulfill my request to send individual people that, that I know that are going through this, it's amazing the response I get. I was with a lady from Minnesota. She'd come down to see her best friend, and she was a client of mine up in Minnesota. So Carrie came down, and, and she and Daphne and Daphne's husband and my wife were together, 
And Carrie said, you know that hope kit that you sent me? And Daphne said, wait, I was there. I was, I was in your house and you got it. Remember that? And they both just relived the moment. And that's wow. something that you don't see. Yeah. And I, I had a chance to see that yeah. haphazardly, you know, coincidentally. But what a great impact. Yeah, it was interesting for us because we I think we all underestimated the power of a tangible expression of hope. There are so many things we think through the science behind it. And while we're not medical professionals, you know, we've been around it long enough to know as a foundation that mammograms save life, early detection saves lives, you know, getting in to do the biopsy and the treatment. But I think we all underestimated the power of the tangible expression of hope. Well, the power of that gets them into the road to recover, gets them in the road of having a positive mental attitude. Cindy, mm -hmm. When Cindy got cancer the first time, she said, I'm going to pray about it and take action. We had a lady in our lives that her husband said, yeah, she was just diagnosed with, with cancer. I said, what's she doing? She's at the pool getting drunk. So I got off the phone and said, Cindy, so-and-so is at the pool getting drunk. When you had cancer, you fell on your knees. And my wife said, oh, really? The next time I have it, I'm going to go to the pool and get drunk. There you go. There you go. And she told me don't That's ever question somebody's Great point. Sensitivity on how they're dealing with something. Exactly. You watch yourself. Yep. And again, what a great learning point for me. Back up. Don't be so judgmental. Your Hold bucket on. list is keeping you in line, I'll tell you. Uh, yeah. Forever. True. Yeah, grief is an interesting thing because it just kind of hits different people differently. And, you know, through my own life and going through some grief, I've become much more sympathetic about how wild that can make you and just the roller coaster, you know, that goes through. And grief doesn't have to mean someone dying. It can just mean just, just grief. everyday grief, you know, just pain stuff. Is pain. That, yeah, pain is pain. Um, but kind of flipping this back around uh, as we're, we're going to start wrapping up, but um, what, how would you define hope? And, and, you know, this is something that, you know, we, we really try to explore on this podcast yeah. and, and, understand from different perspectives on the spiritual side it, it's uh, things not yet seen mm. but what what how, how i define excuse me how i define hope and sometimes faith from zig so a reporter asked zig you're a motivational speaker you have all these motivational books and self-help books etc do you always feel that way <laughs> and zig smiled and said no i don't always feel that way but i'm going to <laughs> so all i'm doing I'm telling the truth in advance. Wow. So to me, hope is the truth in advance. Wow, that's so good. That's so, so good. To me, hope is um, Joe Burrow. I had to say that for you. Yeah, that's, a, that's an LSU football SEC. reference. You you can't, we can't let you go before you tell people your LSU stories and, and your roomie at LSU. This is one of the most brilliant and iconic things I've ever heard in my life. I don't even know that Kevin knows this. I think I do. Yeah, you probably, I'm sure you do. Sometimes, sometimes I open up with that. I had the opportunity back in my college days in 1907. <laughs> Leather lived, helmets, right? Yeah, I, lived, I lived, lived most of my life in the last century. I, I wanted to be an LSU Tiger all my life, and you know how yeah, that has been yeah. from L.A., lower Alabama. I wanted to be a Tiger, so I went out for the LSU basketball team. The timing was bad. I didn't have a scholarship. The last scholarship went to the coach's son, Pete Maravich. Now, freshmen couldn't play varsity in those days, so I was on the freshman team. And Pete Maravich was the greatest yeah. college scorer who ever lived, not yeah. the greatest player, yeah. but averaged 44.2 for three seasons. And one night we got 63 points together. He got 62. So yeah. it, was, it, was the worst, it was the worst year of my life because I'd come across from, from high school having a pretty good senior year to not playing and not doing all. But it humbled me. And really what happened, part of the story, which you don't know, 
Yeah, and I, and I tell people I didn't play. I showered with the guy. I didn't play. But after a game we played at home in, in Baton Rouge, we were playing some traveling AAU teams, sometimes some uh, mm -hmm. Christian uh, athletes and action teams as yeah. freshmen. And we beat some poor team by 54 points. <laughs> and I didn't play. Coach didn't want to jeopardize the lead. Oh, my word. So I didn't shower because I didn't sweat. So I went to a party, and I'd been humbled. I had a date with Cindy in, in, on May 7th, early that year. And this is sometime in December. And I was humbled. And I wasn't cocky. I wasn't the life of the party. I kind of, you know, looked like the picture on my driver's license. Yeah. And so Cindy saw that at the party. We didn't talk a whole lot. We just kind of ran into each other. But the next, next Monday in class, one of my buddies said, you ought to ask Cindy out again. I think she expressed some interest in you. So she had seen me as a cocky mm. senior when she was a junior at another high school. And because of that experience about having having been humbled, I guess. She saw she, the, the look of humility and yeah. realized you had some range to you. Well, she, she understood she had the upper hand. And, <laughs> and, and what happened, and this is a selling point for everybody, she got new information and made a new decision. Mm -hmm. The guy she had had a blind date with, which she didn't have a good time, and now she said, "This guy's been humbled. Maybe I'll give him another shot." So, do you see that Pistol Pete is the reason that you have a successful marriage? No, I, can't, I will never give him credit for Pistol anything. Pistol Pete brought you two together. That's really yeah, something. Yeah, Pistol Pete, yeah, unbelievable. And there's somebody else you ought to look up on the video. He's unbelievable. I was watching videos of him recently, in fact, and showing my son, who's really taking an interest in basketball, yeah. and. Every all the greats say he was absolutely the most naturally gifted basketball player. The way that he played the game, he put work pretty, into pretty, it. Yeah, he, he had the talent, but he he and the ball were one. Yeah, yeah. I he, nobody's ever done what he's done. So and just they, to they get to see that, shot, they didn't have a that's pretty, time clock, so yeah. they could stall on him, and he didn't have the three point to his advantage. Yeah, exactly. Well, Brian, pretty can amazing. I be honest with you? I'm kind of glad you weren't great at basketball because you probably wouldn't be sitting here with us right sure. now and helping us further our mission on our board. See, if Pete, you were great. Pete led us together. Oh, exactly. that too. We have so much to thank him for. I found a good parking space, or I'm going to give Pete credit for that. The rest of the day, anything good that happens is Pete. Exactly. We'll, we'll call it Pete praise. Pete, yeah, all right. He ended up as a good guy. He was one of the good guys toward the end. He, he had a tough time. He had a lot of pain in his life as yeah. well, but he's one of the guys on, on a faith-based. Uh, yeah. He, he finished strong. Yeah, he, he sure if, did. If anybody finished strong, Pete Maravich finished strong. Sure did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't say enough about what you mean to us, and we know how busy you are, the fact that you took time out of your schedule to come Thank be you. in studio today. Um, I appreciate you not needing makeup like Kevin. Kevin needed a pound yeah, of makeup today. Yeah, to we're never going to hear the end of that. I required makeup today, apparently, and this this handsome guy over here required none. So. You're blessed. Take what you will from that. I love it. But thank you, Brian, for being on. Anything well, you want to say before we go today? Yeah, there's a lot of things I'd like to say. Folks, you, you can't go wrong by being involved, helping others. It's, it's such a big part of our lives. But what I found with these guys is that if you get involved with something bigger than yourself that is so needed that it's not going away anytime soon, you, you can't find a better way to put your passion, to put your, your focus on the National Breast Cancer Foundation, no matter how you get involved. Love you for it. Thank you for being here, and we look forward to seeing you guys on the next one.